this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. up that website yeah it looks like you've made a, a stunning amount of progress too yeah there's that one plugin i found is just dope i didn't think i needed to do that much but then when i started tweaking things i'm like oh i can finally do this the way i want it and this the way i wanted sure almost everything i was doing was stock before yeah i mean how did you what is the i'm trying to figure out the best way like what led you to being you know what like screw it i'm gonna do this was it the whole Patreon thing and everything just kind of fell into place from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, I guess we started. Um, the Patreon, well, first I wanted to, I moved, I left Squarespace because I wanted to incorporate Patreon into the website so that, you know, I could make Patreon content and all of that. And then right as I began starting doing that, the whole Patreon drama of everybody bailing happened and, I was like, well, if I'm just starting this, maybe now's the time to just drop it all, all the Patreon, and just go completely independent. Sure. And it's not really, on on the website end of it, it's not really drastically that different as far as like um, being able to lock away content for premium members and stuff like that. It's, it's just as easy. And in fact, it's actually easier for people... Um, becoming members because then they can manage their subscription right on the Holy Fool website instead of mm-hmm. having to go over to Patreon and do all of that over there. Uh, so I gotcha. It, in the long run, it'll be easier for everybody. So now it's just a matter of starting to make all the premium content. Yeah, I was actually meaning to talk to you about that, but I, I should we talk about that on the episode? I, I figure we're here, we might as well. <laughs> Why not? Um, happy New Year, everybody! By the way, yeah, and Happy New Year, you too. Like, I can't believe you're dealing with this crap in the middle of New Year. That's just so horrible. Yeah, well, I'll probably leave a lot of that out at the beginning, but yeah, I had a panic attack when we started this episode, and my heart rate was like 180. So, I'm calming down. Yeah, you know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm at 1.30 now, so I'm just jogging right now. <laughs> oh, man. Do you wear pajamas? Not usually. Sometimes in the winter, though. Okay, just curious. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I, I feel like I don't know very many people who actually wear pajamas, pajamas, like the the kind of pajamas that you picture in, you know. Um, oh, you mean like button shirt pajamas? Yeah, like the, the collar <laughs> and the, the little nightcap and all that kind of stuff, like. Yeah, I don't I think anybody don't wears those. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of want to, though. Like, there's a part of me that... that like, um, overtly racist. It was kind of like um, a sheet... You know, like, there's these there's these people who believe that they're liberal-minded, but underneath it, there's actually some st- steeped um, prejudices that they can't see. And that's kind of what I assumed he was. But... The more I started listening to the podcast and the more I heard him get into conversations, I realized I'm like, oh, no, he's not at all. In fact, he's the opposite. He's just sure. talking about something that's very, very difficult to talk about without people automatically assuming you're a racist and sometimes making missteps. And what I find really particularly interesting about him is he will get himself into conversations with people he's pretty sure he's going to disagree with. And he makes sure to steer the conversation into places that they will disagree so that he can learn from the conversation. Interesting. Which is a very respectable thing. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because this week he had, um, I listened to it this week. I shouldn't say it aired this week. He had on, what is the woman's name? Rebecca Traster. And she wrote a book about um, women and anger and a lot to do, it has a lot to do with the Me Too movement. And um, so I assume it probably has something to do with Time's Up as well. And they had a very interesting conversation. And it was weird to be hearing this conversation right after the conversation that we had last week, because for for the most part, they're green and, and she's very, very articulate. And she articulates some really great points about power dynamics. And the way she explains it all, it's, it's really probably one of the most articulate explanations of power dynamics that I've heard in a long time. But what was very interesting about it is two people that actually think agree at about 80%. There's a point where I think she got excited about the conversation and she kind of stopped hearing what he was saying and how quickly it became a disagreement between two people who agree pretty much and him asking questions and then her, the moment she stopped hearing him, I noticed her taking the worst out of things he was saying because they had lost that connection. And I thought it was a really, really good explanation of how difficult these conversations can be, even between people who probably agree 90%. This is typically why I don't have these conversations, even with people I I agree with. Um, for the most part, just because at some point it becomes too emotionally charged for people to listen anymore. And I think once the listening stops, then the argument begins. And at that point, nothing gets accomplished. And that's really tough. Um, because I mean, I really do want to, I, I really do think that that at some point, the only way that we can have a reasonable political discourse is to for people to actually listen to each other. But you know, that's, that's asking a lot. That's asking for people to meet on an emotional neutral ground um, and from an idealistic neutral ground as well, um, where you can have some level of objectivity um, that allows you to not even necessarily see the other person's point, but to see all the points or to see 
um, the, the scope of history and how it plays into this, or to see how the evolution of culture or the evolution of certain religions plays into this. You know, one of the things I don't, I don't like just as a standard rule is people who defend things without understanding them at all. Um, and I say this about, you know, I'm going to be very, very careful about how I say this. Um, but Islam is one of those things. You know, I, when I was in college, I studied sociology and theology quite a bit. And the misconceptions from both sides of the equation, both people who um, protect Islam as well as people who defend it, um, the perspectives are so narrow and most of the time uneducated that it's hard to have a real conversation about it. Well, I think what's also really difficult is we were kind of tainted or stained by a lot of the way that questions and discussion have functioned within the public discourse. And I don't mean on particular topics, but I mean literally the way that we talk to each other publicly to the point where somebody could be asking a question that's an actual question, but the person hears it as, I know where you're going with this and it's going to be an accusation. And that automatically sure. taints and, and swerves the conversation into an argument. You know, like I could be saying, well, what do you think the solution for it is? And I might actually be asking you, what do you think the solution for it is? But you can translate that as an attack. And, and I think that that's where things really fall apart is when we stop actually listening to the words. And, and also, um, this works on both a micro and a macro level too. Um, in my current relationship, we're having that same discussion about not assuming where the other person is taking the conversation before the person's taken it there. And I think that, you know, familiarity breeds that. It, it breeds both a, a comfort and a contempt at the same time. And I think both of those are basically the same side. There were two different sides of the same coin. Um, and I think because... I, I think a, a lot of modern media has, has plays into that too as well. You know, this less than 24-hour news cycle that we're currently living in just floods us with so much information that our brain has to forcibly fill in the blanks in order to make sense out of the world. And I think that that trickles into everything that we do, including um, interpersonal relationships as well. So it's both a micro and a macro level problem. I also find there's a huge problem with the fact that we aren't in our heads enough. We, 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 everybody thinks that they think too much. You know, people say, I think too much. Um, yeah. But most people don't. And, yeah, and I agree with that. <laughs> we, and, and it's not that we don't think a lot because we're always thinking. There's always something coming out of our brains, but we don't think for extended periods of time. We've, uh, we've, we've parsed out everything so that everything is interrupted. And when you really sit, and I've had to do this recently with certain things, and just I find like I'm trying to think about something and I'm going, why can't I think about this? And I'm like, oh, because I have the TV on in the background. It's on mute. And I have a podcast playing. And then there's a, a car outside and a guy blowing leaves. And there's like 15 things between me and me being able to think. And I have to turn off and mute and push away as much as I can and just sit there. And if we don't... Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, actually, that we're talking about this because I took some very clear steps um, for avoiding that this week. But carry on. I've, I've, got, a, I've mm. got a whole thing on that. It's pretty fun. Good, because there's stuff I want to talk about with that too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically, I, th I think the problem is that we, you know, we talked about it last week with the reaction. I'm, actually, I, in the episode, I say the word reactionaryism, and so do you. But then when I did the show notes, I wrote the word reactionism. And both technically come up if you do a search. So I'm not sure which is the actual word we're <laughs> supposed to be using here. 
But when we're being reactionary, it is almost always because of what you're saying there is because we know that we're defending something some somewhere inside of us. We know we're defending something we don't really understand. So we have to be strong. We have, you know, it's like you're putting up a strong front so that nobody pushes. People do it with the political discussions all the time. Like, I don't like this guy. And then if somebody actually pushes them, you find out that they can't really think of any examples why. And, and it's kind of sad because we're arguing about things that maybe most of us don't even necessarily believe. Sure. And and I think that one of the primary reasons why is because we live in such a a, a bullet pointed soundbite culture that long long narratives get lost. Not even long narratives, medium narratives get lost. You know, and and I think that that the political discourse plays into that. Um, the the news cycle plays into that. Even how we consume media um, on a general basis. You know, songs have gotten shorter. Uh, movies are are a very specific length now, and a lot of the time, the length the, the length sacrifices things like narrative and character development um, over flash and, and coolness. Um, and I, I one of the, the the biggest things that I kind of pride myself in, and maybe it's because you know both you and I are avid readers, um, voracious readers, actually, um, is that I have a very long attention span, and I think that that's remarkably useful for being able to digest complex problems. And I think that's part of the reason why people have difficulty um, understanding the, the the political spectrum of the political process, or you know the, the the link that you sent me earlier about you know how hard it is to write a novel. It's because people can't keep their attention on something for that long, and and really dive into the minutia of the importance of detail. Yeah, I think also in a way the idea of narrative plays into all of that too, in the sense that. Uh, we're obsessed with narrative, that everything has to be a story now. Everything has to have a story. And, you know, like, I'm sorry, but if you open a physics book, there's not going to be a story. It's just facts and information, and it's boring, and you got to work your way through it. And it gets exciting when you start understanding it. And sure. And that's one of our big problems is we forget that some of the real excitement comes later. You have to earn it. We expect everything to be exciting up front. We expect a veneer of, of flash, like you said. But sometimes some things are gross and they take forever and they're awful. And then you get to the end and you're like, wow, I learned so much. Yeah, I, I think about the writers that define my narrative sensibilities and all of them are just bludgeoningly slow. You know, like the, I, I think of Dostoevsky and, and, and Kafka and and... You know, even even one of our subjects, um, well, two of our subjects, actually, Cheryl Strayed and, and Murakami, um, were all patient writers in that sense. They all took their sweet freaking time in order to achieve something in a narrative, and there's such there's such a joy in the revelation of it. You know, there's a, there's a joy in the, the the bits and pieces of of character development that happen along the way, which actually kind of brings me back to one of the first things that I ever wanted to talk to you about on this iteration of the show and never got to. Um, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how remarkably patient they are with certain characters. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see the way that they actually work things out. In, well, it's, it's like they actually somebody woke up one day and go and went, oh, we can do with movies what we do with, what we do with comic books. And I don't mean what people interpret that before is like, oh, this looks like one, this one feels like one. I mean that they can 
do what you said, draw things out. You know, why is Daredevil a great character? Because he's gone through so many people's hands and we've seen him develop over decades. And to be able to start to attempt to do that with film and television, it's, I mean, the great example of that as well within that universe on television is the show Gifted. Oh, yeah, sure. And they're doing a remarkable job of, of showing what it's like for the mutants to exist in a society that hates them. It's, it's a metaphor for racism, for immigration and all this. But also at its core, it's really just a great story about being a mutant and, and how over time hiding and being on the run really starts to break you down even if you have superpowers. I want you to, at some point, I want you to do this. Um, pick a character, and I, I have one to suggest for you, but pick a character and follow their story through the MCU. So in particular, I'd like you to, be, only because I think his arc is really kind of obvious, vast, and very comic booky. go through Thor and watch the first Thor movie, then Avengers, then the second Thor movie, and so on and so forth, until you get to the latest one and watch his development. It's fascinating. Yeah, I can even like having not paid attention from that that perspective. I can already say that he becomes more human. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and they took their time. I can't believe that. I mean, it's 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 a narrative masterpiece in that sense. I mean, even I mean, obviously Tony Stark has a similar journey as well, um, and so does Captain America. But I think Thor's is probably the most full one eighty. Um, he goes from being this this arrogant, shitty god. Um, who sees the world as beneath him to being this really hilariously humble, comical, and almost jaded, but extraordinarily hopeful person all at the same time. And and even towards the last Avengers movie, there's a hopelessness to him that that you wouldn't expect. And if you if you watch the first movie and then and then see the 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 last Avengers movie, you would think it's two entirely different characters, and that is remarkable to see. I think that's the only one I haven't seen yet is the last of, of all the Marvel movies, I think is the last one, the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Whenever that comes on streaming, I'll be seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to the theaters. Um, bef- before we we veer off too much, did you, uh, actually, did you want to go deeper on that before I change topics? Nope, I'm done. Okay. I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, making headspace. Mm. Oh, yeah. So that's that's... You know, obviously, with the way my world is structured now, with my job and with the media and with the polit- the political stuff, um, you know, me diving back into music and and having uh, my other interests like photography and golf and various things like that. I, every single day, I'm pulled in twenty different directions, and it's not uncommon for me to literally bounce around from space to space, both literally, literally and figuratively, um, within the span of maybe two hours. I could be in three completely different locations doing enti- three entirely different things with three different groups of people. And it's really easy to fall into a subtle, constant anxiety when you're doing that. Um, and I felt that it was making me a very defensive person just because I didn't have the headspace to keep it all straight without having to focus all the time. And I think that's subtly stressful for everyone who lives that life. And I think most people live some form of that. Um, I might have an extreme version of it um, with what's going on now, but um, I think for the most part, everyone's lives are hectic to to some extent, and it's because of how the world's built. So in order to 
make myself get out of that space. Um, I'm writing a blog again, and I am literally carving out specific chunks of time where I don't listen to anything else. I don't watch anything else. I don't talk to people. I don't do work stuff. I only work on the blog. And I have only done it twice this week. So I'm barely starting that this week. And even within the two chunks of time that I've already done it, I already feel much more at peace with myself, um, giving myself the, the, the brain space to kind of just lay a story out and being able to construct it um, from, from beginning to end without any interruption. That was really difficult for me not to start laughing in the middle of because we're in the exact same place. I was afraid that if I started <laughs> laughing, you'd lose your train of thought. I've literally been doing the exact thing. I mean, like the notes in front of me, if you could see the post-its I have in front of me, that's one of them. <laughs> literally the word freedom. Um, uh, so one of the things that I've been doing, this is this will be in three parts. So I'll just do one part and then you, we'll see what you think of it and bounce around. But uh, the first thing that was... I had this idea and it was just literally a mind. I, I texted you about this. It was literally just a mind experiment. But I, I got to this point where I'm like, hmm, what if I used my Reddit page, the Holy Fool Reddit page, as the blog? And instead of blogging on the website or blogging on Medium, blog on that page. And one of the first reasons that I went to that is because I was actually looking at apps that made it really easy. Something that I could jump into, write a couple things, and then just post. The Squarespace um, blogging app for the phone, it sucks. It's too many clicks. And the same with the WordPress one. And there's so many other different iterations. And I'm like, these are all too much. They're not as fast as Twitter. Because my goal was, what if instead of taking... I actually wrote a post about this. The first one I did on Reddit. What if I took these ideas that are, you know, like a, the size of a post-it, one sentence, you know, a couple sentences that I would normally just spit out on Twitter and Facebook, instead of just spitting them out and being uh, reactionary, what if I sat on them? And then when I sat down once a day, or, you know, maybe not every day, but as, as often as I can, sit down and go, hmm, can I expand this into maybe just a paragraph? Maybe just two paragraphs, not big, long blogs or anything, but just move them beyond 140 characters. So I was like, oh, what, what app am I going to do for that? And the, Red, the Reddit, I mean, I've been saying Reddit this whole time, haven't I? Um, yeah. I don't mean Reddit. <laughs> you might want to start over. It's Patreon. Yeah, also. Patreon. Um, the Patreon app is it's probably the easiest to do. It's literally like two clicks. I go in, post. It's really beautiful looking and I can post it. The only thing that sucks about it is it's there's no way to automatically post those to Facebook and Twitter. So I have to go and manually do those. But anyways, my whole point there was to think if I could get out of that space of spinning those things out in short spurts, that it would require me to think more. And then if I had, if I did it on, on almost said Reddit again, if I did it on Patreon, then I can do the shorter ones as public things, but then, you know, that gets something longer. I can, and I feel like, oh, this is a more fully fleshed out piece that could go behind the wall for people that are patrons. And I just thought it was an easier way instead of asking people, you know, it's kind of, it frees up space in my head by not having to tell people, well, if you want to see this, go here. And if you want to see this, go here. And if you want to see this, go over here. And it, it's really funny because 
that's exactly what I wanted to do is to just start right. blogging, maybe not every day, but maybe with the goal of hoping I can get to the point where I do something every day. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm definitely not requiring myself to do one thing a day. I'm kind of easing into it just to ensure that I succeed at it. Um, so what I make, and also, by the way, it's also good to have a buddy to do this with too. And I have a covert buddy that I'm doing this with where, you know, do what you think is manageable for your life. You know, don't overdo it because the last thing you want is to go for a big victory and fail at it. So what I'm doing is I want at least for now one blog post a week. And then, you know, as I feel more comfortable and I get back into the swing of things, then I progressively increased it um, just to ensure that I can, I can hold myself to it every week and, and continually produce um, what I think is, is content that's at the level that I, I, I want to produce. You know, what I was looking at maybe an hour ago, there's this thing called blot.im. And it is probably the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. It's essentially, it's a blog, but... It, you don't have to sign on to anything to blog. It, it creates a folder in your Dropbox. And if you drop in a text file, it publishes it. If you drop in an HTML file, it publishes it. If you drop in an image, it publishes it. If you drop in a Markdown document, it publishes it. What? It's, it's amazing. So the reason this is appealing to me, which is probably the second part of what I was saying, is I want the idea of Instead of feeling like I'm inside of social media and I'm caught in, you know, I got to read this and reply to this and then post this and do all that. I want to be in the place of creation. I want to be back in the stacks making stuff. And I want to be able to just make stuff and then have it automatically go out. And it, and it's one of those ugly moments where I'm like, well, that does exactly that. But then I have my Patreon idea. <laughs> and I can't do both. <laughs> so what the hell? <laughs> uh, do you think ultimately Patreon... Well, I mean, obviously from, from the blog's perspective... I mean, I'm sorry, from the uh, show's perspective, I think the Patreon makes more sense. Yep. Uh, but man, that's that's enticing though. I, I love the idea of just dropping, you know, dropping things straight in and not having to worry about it otherwise. That's kind of remarkable. Yeah, I think what I'll probably end up doing is just kind of like putting myself in the headspace where that's what I'm doing, even if that's not what I'm doing, just start collecting things in a text editor and then just going, oh, drop this one into Patreon today <laughs> instead of, you know, drop it into the Dropbox. Okay, I'm just copying pasting this in and then probably send a link over to Buffer and have Buffer push it out or something like that. Um, or, or Edgar, probably Edgar. But, uh, it, it's it, it all kind of revolves around this. The first piece that I wrote on on Reddit, damn it, on Patreon, they have the same, almost the same color scheme too, which is really what's screwing me up. Uh, <laughs> you know, one's like one's orange, and the other one is like kind of orange. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the first thing I wrote on on Patreon, I was talking about how I started using Pocket again. Because I'm, I just want to start collecting stuff. And then that was another way for me. This is the third part of what I was going to tell you about. Is when I find things that I want to share with you know, the audience on social media and stuff, I want them to go out. But I don't want to just like continually be jumping into those apps to post them out. So I wanted to find a way that even though I'm actively looking at the stuff and reading it, 
that I can go, yes, this one is worth them seeing. This one's worth them seeing. And Pocket's a great way to do that because I've been doing it with... Um, it's either If This and That or Zapier. I can't remember. But basically, when I when I star something in Pocket, it'll automatically queue it up to post out. So I can read within that app and not feel like I'm jumping between apps. So I can sit there and maybe read three things and go, I like all three of these and know that those three are going to go out for people to see. Huh. So, I mean, are, are, do they all funnel back to the same place? Uh, you mean to the same social media? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both, everything's going to go to Facebook and Twitter. I uh, got it, okay. And then if it's something... Um, Unfortunately, there's not a, w- a way to automate this, and I can understand why. But if it's something for the Patreon community, uh, see, I did it backwards this time. Something for the Reddit community, uh, like you know, something weird, then I have to go post that manually. But that's not that big of a deal because I don't run across stuff that that's gold enough to put on there that often. Which actually, I want to tell you a real quick sidebar. It was really funny. I was looking at the Patreon backend because Patreon and Reddit connect right now so if you know somebody becomes a patron on our patreon and then they go over to the random badassery pod subreddit they have like a flare that tells people that they're a patron that's like a, a new thing that they just did between the two of them but when i was looking at the back end it's you know i see the connection for those the flare but then it was like suggesting me to, it I, for some reason it didn't understand that i already had a subreddit so it's suggesting a subreddit for me. And this is spooky weird because I've never written this anywhere. So I don't know where I got it. Guess what it suggested as the name for our subreddit? Man, I feel like I'm going to get this wrong. Well, of course, you're guessing out of with no clues. <laughs> you want me to just tell you? Yeah, please tell me. <laughs> Let's get weird. Really? No way. I don't know how it got. The only thing I can think is somebody actually listened to an episode and then suggested that as the name because I haven't written that anywhere, nowhere. Wow, what are the chances? That's odd. That's weird. <laughs> that is that's that is actually odd. I don't understand that at all. That's amazing. Yeah, it was very strange. And I was like, at first I was thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe it just accidentally connected to a, it's a coincidence and it just acted to a pre-existing subreddit. I went over that subreddit doesn't exist. It was telling me to make it. That's crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. I, I assume you did it. No, I didn't. We already have one. Oh, I don't really? need two. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of simplifying things. Um, yeah, true. And while, you know, while we're in the middle of this, if you're a listener and you like the weird stuff, go to the Random Badass Repod subreddit. It's all one word. Join that. Um, post some weird stuff too. Share stuff. And uh, Patreon too. You know, Become a patron. Support us. Support what we do. I'm doing eight episodes a month right now. So support to help me do that would be amazing because one day I would love to have somebody else do all the editing. That would be, oh God, that would be amazing. That's one of the things that's really been weighing on me this week. I really, really want to farm out the editing. It's killing me. Yeah, man, I can't even imagine. I mean, how much total time do you think that takes you a week between the eight shows? A, well, a week between the two shows. There's only two yeah, shows yeah, a week. between the two shows, yeah. Sure. Um, 12 to 15 hours. And that's 
12, 12 to 15 solid hours. And that's like two full days of your life. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because even though we record these on Wednesdays or Thursdays, they go out on Sundays. I'm trying, usually at the same time, I'm trying to get the Creative Minds episode edited because uh, those ones take a little bit longer. I, I tend to leave our ums and burps and stuff in here because I think it's it's more natural here and it's just the two of us. But um, word stumbling and stuff like that, I try to fix that in Creative Minds because I want the guests to feel that they sound their best. Whereas here, we don't have problems with showing our words. But sure. <laughs> it usually does mean that I'm juggling two episodes at the same time. And it, I mean, yesterday when we, you know you and I were going to record yesterday, and then you couldn't do it. It was actually really good because I wasn't done editing the episode for Creative Minds that came out today. Man, so and I was looking at the pricing though. Man, the pricing is unbelievable for this for editing, at least from professionals, which is what you would want. Otherwise, you do it yourself. Um. One of them, it was like two hundred and sixty dollars a month for a weekly for weekly episodes, but they don't go through and listen and remove ums and stuff like that, and you only get three edits. That doesn't even seem close to worth it. Well, they're doing stuff that I necessarily wouldn't want them to do, which I I don't know if I can do an all cart, but they first of all the thing I would want them to do is do all the eqing because I'm not the best at it. Every time I, it comes out different. <laughs> um, so having, having them do the EQ would be great, but then they, you know, they obviously they'll throw in your intros and your outros and all that stuff, which is time. But then they also will do your show notes for you. Some of them will do transcriptions for you and then they will post it to your host for you too. And I, I don't, I don't see the need for that. I would just post it myself, but and I, I don't do transcriptions yet, but if it was a, if it was a something that came free, I'd probably do it. Yeah, I wonder if there is an a la carte option. I'm sure I'm sure there's a solution out there somewhere, considering how big the podcast world is now. Well, to get the edit um, from the same service to get the editing quality I want, where I'd be able to have them listen through, remove all the ums and stumbles, and then be able to tell them remove this section, remove this section, um, you know, stuff like that. It's uh, four hundred sixty-seven dollars a month. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, hey guys, get on that Patreon right now. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Wow. Yes, and that's that's a difficult thing too. Which I, I would actually good time to ask your advice on this. I like the fact that this show just goes wherever the hell it wants. <laughs> <laughs> um. So obviously. Number one priority, get the podcast out. Number one priority. Patreon means nothing if I don't make the main product, which is the, sure. which is the eight episodes, right? It doesn't mean anything. There is no Holy Fool Productions unless it's producing something. But then yeah. people seem to not want to just support things that are already being made that they get for free. So they want to feel like they're getting some bonus stuff. And I can kind of understand it. It's a little bit annoying because... I see it in myself and I'm like, wow, we're spoiled. Um, but I can understand it at the same time. And I, I support one person on Patreon and I actually never look at their bonus content. I just support them because I like them. And it's, it's, not, a huge, it's not a huge monthly charge. But um, the thing is, when I look at those two things, at times I see 
those coming at odds, which is making sure that the podcasts go out, which half the times, like I just said, I'm running myself raw. Or I'm like, okay, I'm getting this stuff out, but man, I'm on the wire sometimes. And then trying to find a space to do extra stuff for the Patreon supporters. That's, I mean, how do you think that... What are your, what's your advice there? Well, I think you kind of answered your own question. Um, one of the reasons... The reason you support that particular person is because you like them. And I think that we don't do enough stuff that makes us visible to people. Um, you know, whether it be us being at events with people or, or doing things in certain places or hosting certain events. It's, you know, it goes back to the, the stuff that we originally wanted to incorporate with the network itself um, so that people feel like they have a vested interest in us as people. Because um, I feel like for me, um, the, the three people I support on Patreon are people I, I like as well. You know what I mean? Like one in particular, I don't even listen to their podcast anymore, but I like them as a person and I like what they're doing. So I, I support them. Um, and I think that the, the nail on the head is that we have to become people to people and we can't just be a show. How do I find the time for that? <laughs> I, I don't, that's a good point. I mean, it goes you know, back I mean, to like, your thing about being in three places in the same night. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, we, we have to figure out a way to make ourselves, uh, how do I even say this? Um, do things that incorporate us into, um, you know, like go to open mics or whatever it is that, that leads us to be able to do that as well. Um, so that we're not changing our routines necessarily. We're just changing our priority on our activities. But I mean, it, you know, for you, it's tough because with the amount of editing that you do, it's hard to carve out pieces of time. Um, and, you know, this, and, and people forget that this is entirely a labor of love for you. So at the moment, there's, there's no monetary value in it, um, which means that you have all of your side work that you need to do in order to just support your regular life. Right. Um, and so, so making the decision to add yet another thing that then transitions the show from a hobby to, you know, a living is, is, is that's the secret sauce. That's the reason why most podcasts fail is because they can't keep doing it. Yeah. I was looking at something the other day. They said something like uh, 12% of podcasts on iTunes have one episode. <laughs> Yeah, sure. And then I think it's like 30 or 40% have less than 20. And oh, it's, I, I think it's higher than that. I mean, I, I, there are quite a few podcasts that I, I have. I, every probably six months or so, I go through and I purge my podcast list. And most of the ones I purge are not because I'm not interested in the content, but because they're just not producing content anymore. Yeah, I mean, like technically, <laughs> this was a dead show. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. I mean, like, I don't think people understand literally, like, it sounds like I'm complaining, but um, I wouldn't do this stuff if I didn't enjoy at least part of it. Some of it sucks. I'm not going to lie. Um, like doing, planning all the social media posts for the week. I hate doing that. It's so boring. <laughs> sure. It's, uh, but I mean, it's it's like, if I look for pockets of time, the only pockets of time that I have left are times that I'm sleeping or or the one to two hours late, late, late at night that I get to watch TV and just be a human being, which is usually from 12.15 to about 2.15 in the morning. That means you, you just can't be a human being. No. <laughs> I have no time left. And I mean, and I'm trying to, you know, and I'm, I'm juggling a lot of stuff. It's not just I'm juggling work and the podcasts. 
I'm also juggling exercise and trying to stay in shape. So at least trying to get an hour of that in every day. So, you know, I don't croak because that's kind of important. Um, Trying to work in time to meditate, trying to work back in time to do yoga. It's, it's, it's literally just keeps running out of time. And what's really scary for me right now is winter's coming. Call back to uh, Game of Thrones. (laughs) But, uh, I have, I get seasonal affective disorder, which means the weather really affects my mood and my energy levels. So I have to be, uh, I have to fight extra hard in the winter to do things because literally I, I turn into a slug. (laughs) I realized that today I was like walking, today was like the first like pretty cold day in the house. And I was walking back from the kitchen and I'm like, oh, I got to, I'm cold. I'm going to put on a sweater. And I start to open the closet where I have the sweater. And I just really looking at like the speed that I'm moving. And I'm like, oh no, that time of year is here. <laughs> I'm moving slowly. <laughs> and it was so much effort. I love that you just segued into literally what I want to talk about next, um, which is how the heck do you find well, first of all, do you work differently creatively in the winter? And second is how do you how do you, what is your method for finding the energy or desire or motivation to do creative stuff during the winter? Um wow. Let me think about that. How I'm different. I'll come back to the different part. I'm not sure I have an answer to that yet. How I work in the winter is really difficult. <laughs> Um, things because this last year, because I've really become more sedentary. Um, well, maybe that's not the right word because I do exercise. I've become more home, homebody. Uh-huh. I don't go out very much. It's a little bit harder to compare the two because I think the way that I function now most of the year is closer to how I used to function in the winter. But essentially, it's a lot of bargaining with myself and a lot of transitioning between two things like, okay, I'm going to sit and edit. I know I can't sit and edit for two hours straight because my back starts to hurt because I have bad posture when I edit, no matter how much I try not to. So I'm going to do this for a half hour. If I can get through a half hour, then I can go sit over there and on my comfortable chair and listen to a podcast for a half hour. And then going, then go back to editing, and then go back to listening to something else, and then it's a lot of that. Or like, I'm gonna do this, and if I finish this, then I get to eat a pear, or something like that. It's it's just a lot of bargaining, and it's so difficult sometimes. So so it's basically a collection of if then statements that you allow. So it's a it's a consequence based value system, where if you do something, then you can reward yourself with another thing. Yeah, or sometimes punish myself. Oh, sure. Which means I say I'm going to go over and, and listen to a podcast for a half hour and I end up playing like some tower defense game for an hour and 15 minutes. Well, that means now I have to edit later into the night. Uh, I see. So I punish future self. There was that Simpsons episode where where Homer said something about like, screw future Homer, you know? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. Um I find that because I can't go outside, I sit for longer periods of time in places and I actually end up doing a lot more creatively. 
Yeah, it used to be like that, I think. Um, I think it's because it was... Maybe that plays into your part about how things are different. Maybe now because things aren't so different, it doesn't work like that for me anymore. Because that's the norm now. Mm. So now it requires more. Whereas before it worked because it was different than my active periods. You know, like if I was going out all the time during the summer and stuff, then when winter came around, I'd be like, well, it's winter. And it was almost like I gave my excuse, myself an excuse to work. But now that like my work is like 24, 7, 365 days a year, <laughs> there is no no difference, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's difficult. These, these are the battles of being a, a burgeoning creator in the sense that, like you said, I don't make any money from it yet. Well, I think that the, the, the tough part, and I, I assume you fight through this as often as I do, is that it's so hard to make a living as an artist um, on a consistent basis. And, you know, we know plenty of artists who are fantastic artists. You know, I can think of a a few in particular that are um, extremely skilled and popular and some which are even reasonably famous who literally struggle to pay their rent every month. And, And, you know, unless you've done this for a living, you know, unless you've tried to produce a podcast or, or, you know, part of the reason why um, this became a dead show for a while is because I, I started a brand new job and just literally didn't have the time anymore. And so un- unless you've really done it, you don't understand how tough it is to continue doing it. Yeah, that's that. I think that's um, that piece that I wrote that I sent you earlier today. That's a part of it that didn't make it in there because it, it just got bloated. But the hardest thing sometimes is that exact word is continuing, especially when it's something like this, when you're not writing a novel, but you're putting out something publicly on a consistent basis. So you're producing something for free all the time. It becomes really difficult to negotiate the willpower to continue uh, because you're going, okay, well, shit, I, I, I should have proved that I'm doing this consistently by now. But nobody's nobody's supporting it yet. So then you start going through, you know, like, do I suck at this? You know, like, is it bad? Um, I mean, I went through this earlier this week where I'm like, wow, it might, maybe I'm just not a good podcaster. Maybe I'm just, I'm awful. And that's why nobody <laughs> wants to support it. Um, and, and you go through those loops of, of that or self-doubt. And then, but the the most dangerous loop is the, because I'm not making anything from this yet, maybe this is a waste of my time. Sure. So then you start looking for something else. And I, I've been very guilty of that. I mean, I did 200 days of vlogging and then I got burnt out from it. And then it was really easy for me to go, this is a waste of my time. <laughs> Which it wasn't. I learned a lot. But at that moment, I was very susceptible to that idea. And that's where burnout is. You have to be very careful with burnout because it makes you susceptible to those insecurities about what you're doing. That's such a tough. That's such a tough thing to fight, though. Because I mean, there's, there's the the one thing you don't you don't want is to become bitter at the thing that you love. And I think that that's a really easy trap to fall into. You know, part of the, and 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 it's almost as dangerous to succeed at something you love as it is to fail at it. Um, 
you know, photography is a good example of that for me in that it became my full-time job. And so I was doing a lot of photography that I didn't want to do. So there's, there's this delicate balance point, you know, for, for people who are trying to follow their passions, um, in which you have to make it so that you don't fall out of love with your passions as well. And it's, you have to be very careful with that resent too, because sometimes you can, um, that can bleed into the way that you view your audience too. Sure. Because the silence that you receive or the lack of, um, you know, people jumping immediately to go to support you on Patreon, you know, whatever their actual legitimate reasons are, you can't see those things and you don't know them because you're not them, right? You know, those, those people are invisible to you. And because they're invisible to you and you have all these doubts and you have all these fears, it's easy to transfer your doubts and your fears onto those people. And so you start, yeah, so you start asking yourself, what if I suck and all this? Well, if you want to keep going, you can't believe that you suck. So you can't continue to believe that. So you have to create another belief and then you start wanting to create the belief of like, oh, they're all just apathetic or they all just, they're entitled and they want things for free. And you have to work through those things too, because that's fear. And that's fear manifesting itself, trying to give you strength by transferring itself in anger. But it is just fear. And, and obviously that's not what's going on because people wouldn't keep coming back and listening to something if they were apathetic. But it's really easy to start believing those things because you know, you're guessing and you're weak and you're tired and you just want to you just want something to happen i i think it loops back around to something that we talked about very early on which is you know we're so consistently inundated with so much information and so many things so many different short narratives and and all this stuff like our lives just take over and so from that perspective like it's it's the emotions get to you much more quickly and much more severely than you'd want them to and I feel like doing something creative like this show or something like that also falls into that too, where you you react emotionally and that's the toughest thing. You know, uh, I know that, you know, when we were initially doing this show and, and, and watching the download numbers go up or down or, you know, it, it, we critically analyzed so many things, um, but we also had our emotions in that too as well. You know, we... I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd personally be annoyed when people didn't like an episode as much as we liked an episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 in my in my older years now, um, it wasn't even that long ago, but just with a little bit of, of wisdom, I've started to to really realize that you know ultimately you have to separate yourself from it. And I think that that's the the, the smartest thing that we did with this show, for example, is that we're trying to completely emotionally separate our validation, both as people and as artists from the show itself. You know, like we, we I know that we both make a concerted effort not to, to try to figure out why the show isn't doing better or why it isn't picked up as much traction as we'd want it to as quickly as we wanted it to, because it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we're doing what we love and, and ultimately, as long as we continue to do it and we can, can maintain our own personal momentum with it, then eventually it'll find an audience or it won't. And it's, and, and, and we shouldn't care. Um, of course that's a big should, um, in that, you know, we're humans too. So at the end of the day, we are going to have some kind of emotional reaction to the success or, or, or speed of the success of a, a thing that we're doing, you know, but, but 
the reason why this feels very different to me now is because it doesn't feel like a task. It feels like a conversation with a friend that I would have anyway. And, and in, in this particular case, it's a conversation with a friend that I should have more often. And this makes me have that conversation. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's why I look forward to these episodes every week because it's, it's literally, to me, it's not about making a podcast, <laughs> just about talking. I mean, I can, this show, we bounce around so much that it would be impossible to even begin to understand why one episode does better than another <laughs> because it could be <laughs> one topic in the episode. And, and there's also these strange complexities of, you know, like, for example, the last episode had about the same amount of downloads as our first episode, but the second episode had almost double. I don't know why. Mm, <laughs> but, but the thing about it too is, you know, like we were a little bit worried about um, last week's episode because we went into some um, treacherous waters, but the download numbers for that episode wouldn't have anything to do with the content of that episode because people would have downloaded it before they knew what we talked about. So that sure. means that those numbers are actually a reflection of the popular episode the week before. Oh, man. Now try to start figuring that stuff out. It doesn't what? make sense. Well, and then once we have, once we have a, a larger collection of shows, then how do we understand the momentum you know, like it, it might have been like I remember in, in when we were doing the artist profiles, um, certain episodes like the Murakami episode would then springboard a bunch of episodes after it and so on and so forth. It was such a tough thing to con consistently maintain a grasp on that at some point I just I, I, I just kind of tried to stop making sense out of it, you know, because there's a million different ways to analyze it. And you never know if any single one of those ways is correct. <laughs> Well, what's also going back to the the idea of like trying to hold your hold your emotions and everything from falling apart on you. What what I'm probably a little bit too eager to do, but I think most people are too afraid to do, is to tweak things that aren't working. Um, you know, like looking at something and looking for pain points. People don't like to do that. I I've always treated the way, and I think you have too, approached the way that podcasting approach podcasting more from the perspective of um of a startup than of a, a creation a public art of some sort or whatever you want to call it a content creation in the sense that i was always ready to pivot you know like oh this looks like this is probably a better way to go pivot um and we did that a lot with content which i think was ultimately to our detriment in um, making it really hard for people to follow. But on the back end stuff, I think that if anybody listening is podcasting or thinking about podcasting, on the back end, don't be afraid to pivot and don't be afraid to fix pain points. You know, like if you find that, I'll give a good example. I'll give a very concrete example. When I started this season of Creative Minds, before I even started it, I did two months of prep. Um, two months of planning. Okay, this is the way the season's going to function. And I interviewed, I think, like 12 people before I even started publishing episodes. And my plan was to have everything edited and ready to publish. That didn't happen. <laughs> but um, I had this other plan. I thought, okay, we, Lamb and I had a show previously, a very short run show, tech show called Technical Ramblings. 
it just didn't work out. We didn't have enough passion for it. And it just kind of fell apart. But I still liked the name and I wanted to do something with it. So I had this shoe. So I wanted to put a foot in it, right? So I said, oh, I have an idea. And this this was a very good idea at the time from a from a drawn on paper piece of um, <laughs> you know diagram on paper. So I have I talked to these people for an hour about creativity or whatever. I don't think I even said creativity. I talked to these people for an hour, and then I have an after show, and that was going to be technical ramblings. It was for a little bit, and I go over there and I talk to them about ten or fifteen minutes, and I ask them all the nerdy questions that I wouldn't ask them in the normal conversation, you know, like, what computer do you have? What app do you use? What guitar is that? What amp is that? What paintbrush is that? And I I thought that that would create an interesting feedback loop because the people that would be interested in the really technical details might want to go back and listen to the other conversation. And the people that wanted to listen to the interesting conversation, I'm sorry, (laughs) listen to the longer (laughs) conversation, might want to go listen to the after show. It didn't work out that way. But what I was also doing, this is a two-part thing. I was also, so the the host, Simplecast, that hosts all of our shows, both uh, Random Badassery and Creative Minds, they also provide a built-in website. So I already have to upload the files to Simplecast because they're the host and I the show notes are already there and all of the links and all of that stuff is already there. So it's already on a website for them. But because it's on their thing, you know, it's um, ours is randombadassery.simplecast.com. Because it's on their thing, I don't get any of that search engine optimization. So in other words, if you're looking for Haruki Murakami, you're not going to go to my Holy Fool website. You're going to end up maybe, if if they even index on Google, you might end up on that. So I was doubling all of the show notes onto the Holy Fool website. And I was trying to promote the links to the Holy Fool website instead of to this thing. So I was doing double duty for every show notes. Jeez. So here's where the pivot, this is, sorry, long explanation day today. But um, the reason pivot was important is the first thing I had to realize was after about, I think, not even six, four or five episodes, I was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) This takes two much time. Too much time for something that's doubling something. So I said, screw it. And I stopped posting on the Holy Fool website and I just, it goes right to the Simplecast. Saved me so much time. Sanity. Sure. Second thing, I had to look at technical ramblings and look at at Holy Fool. I mean, um, Creative Minds. I'm not going to give actual download numbers. I'm going to make up imaginary download numbers here. If I had 5,000 on Creative Minds, I only had 50 on technical ramblings of downloads, that is. That's sure. That ratio is about correct with the actual numbers. So all the time to cut that episode. So what I had to do when I had this audio, I had to cut that part because, you know, I interviewed them all at once, both shows. I have to cut those audios in half. And then I've got to give them each a separate intro, give them each a separate outro do separate show notes for each. And then I was also putting it on two different websites. So I was actually quadrupling my work. But when I got rid of the website, I was back to only doubling my work, doing two shows. And then I'm looking and I'm going, "Mm, only 1% of my audience 
is jumping to the bonus to the bonus content or the after show. Is it worth the time that I'm investing to feed 1% of the audience when I could just ask those questions in the show that I already that they're already listening to that 100% of the audience is listening to. And that's where I had to pivot and say, no, I'm killing it. And it's it's awful because my goal was to go into the season and not change anything. But if I didn't change those things, there wouldn't be any podcasts. I would have exploded in the head. Well, then I guess the 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 question then comes when it when we're talking about these things. You know, most people think of return on investment as as a monetary thing, but time and energy is equally important when you're thinking about that equation. So, you know, in in that respect, the shows gave you equal amounts of or I'm sorry, the expenditure on each side of that for you was equal in time and energy, but the result was literally 1% of the other show. Well, and the thing about it too is that 1% of the audience that was listening to Technical Ramblings was probably 100% coming from the other show. Sure. So that 1%, those, those, that 1% of the audience, I was actually creating... A, a, a difficulty for them because they had to finish one show and then go over to the other one to listen to the rest. So even, yeah. even the part that like, I, even if it was benefiting the audience, it was too much for me. But the fact was I wasn't even benefiting the audience. I was actually creating an obstacle for them. Sure. So I was doubling my work to, dis, to inconvenience my audience. <laughs> All plans so, don't work out. <laughs> yeah. So, so the lesson learned ultimately, and if you, you know, I used to do this, this interview show way back in the day, and we used to interview, you know, quite a few, few of the um, tech CEOs. Like we got Jeremy Stoppelman, we got Phil Levin, um, you know, both Yelp and uh, Evernote fame. And one of the things they consistently talked about, the, the, the guys who succeeded um, was always the, the resistance they got from within their own organizations about pivoting. But in, in every single case, the pivot dramatically affected their success and their continued ability to, to operate as a forward-moving company. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't... I, I guess the, the, it goes back to an old, old thing that you used to talk about, um, you know, from that old Stephen King book um, about writing, which is um, if, you, if you want it to work, you got to kill your darlings. Which I actually just watched that movie. Really? Yeah, that's actually sidebar for a second. If, if you guys are interested in the beats, um, Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, Kill Your Darlings is probably the best representation of them on film. And Ben Foster's William Burroughs is, I mean, he literally was William Burroughs. <laughs> I can highly recommend that. And that's a difficult voice to do. But yeah, you have to you have to be willing to. It was like when I when when Creative Minds. If anybody here is new, you don't know this stuff, but Random Badassery. <laughs> so Creative Minds was originally Random Badassery. Um, the original. <laughs> this is really hard to explain. Basically, uh, what happened was Pam and I did two seasons of Random Badassery, which you see in the feed here. But it used to be on the other feed. And that was called Random Badassery. This didn't exist. And then when Lamb couldn't do the show anymore, I was like, okay, I'll start doing it solo. 
But as I started doing it solo, I realized that meant I needed to do interviews um, because I didn't really, I found that I didn't like doing just me talking to a microphone for an hour episodes. So what I found was in trying to get people to let me interview them, the name Random Badassery didn't really work very well because it didn't sound very professional. So I got a lot of no's because they thought I was just some, you know, like morning talk show. Um, I don't know what they thought. I'm just guessing. But I got a lot of no's. So, and it didn't really fit what I was going to do. So I I had to make a very difficult decision, which was I'm going to rename the show. And renaming the show meant that I was going to lose a huge portion of the audience. Because whether you whether you know this or not, there are a lot of people that listen to podcasts on a consistent basis and yet still don't subscribe to them. Um, so when I changed the name of the other feed from Random Badassery to Creative Minds, I lost over half the audience in one episode. Wow, I didn't know it was that dramatic. And over time, it ended up being three-fourths. After like three episodes, I lost the other quarter. Yeah, it was it was a huge drop. Um, and I can understand it was a completely different show. But my 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 thought but my thought was I've built all this audience. I don't want to just throw it away and start another feed at zero. So I had to either go start another feed at zero or take the huge loss. And then later I created this feed so I can move all these episodes in there. And then Lamb and I decided to bring it back to life. And even that, even bringing this show, I don't care what you think about what I wrote. Sorry, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're not important or you're not a, an interesting person. I just don't give a shit because I'm not writing it to start a conversation. I'm just writing it and sharing it. If you want to read it, it's there. If you don't, don't. Um, and so, like one of my things for this year is reducing entry points, like not reading replies and not you know just putting stuff out. And that's it. And not caring about what people think of the podcasts. Um, and to tie that reason, I brought that up to tie that back into what we were saying about the camping thing, the more social thing. I realized that I'm lonely. I, I, I'm not around people enough. And social media doesn't fill that hole. And the reason that some of the reason that my anxiety gets the way that it does is because I'm not around enough human beings to put my emotional state in check. Mm. I don't engage with human beings enough to balance myself out. So I'm only left with, with what's in my head. And then it goes out, it goes crazy because there's nothing to bounce it off of. Sure. Um, and because I don't drink anymore, I don't want to go to parties um, you know, like night parties, like like New Year's party. I don't want to go to something like that because it's just me watching drunk people and that doesn't do anything for me either. Um, so I need to find this year, and hopefully you're willing to be part of some of it, um, sober social time. Sure. And I think that that's something I need as a human being. Like oh, it's, man. As, as important as eating healthy, I think. It's it's hilarious that you say this. I literally just had this conversation with a bunch of people today. Really? And, Anybody and, I know that we can include in this? Oh, ev- everybody. And we're incorporating you for sure then. Um, you know, Celeste Rog, the, the typicals, um, who are like, you know what? We're not going to drink for a while and we're just going to do fun shit like bowling 
and escape rooms and 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 things that you don't have to stand around and with the drink in your hand and just talk bullshit for an hour. Like I'm trying to escape out of a room. That'd be really cool. I want. I went in on that moment you said that. Um, (laughs) Dude, what was I watching? There was there was a oh, (laughs) never mind. I'm not going to tell what I was watching. (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, that's one of the things too. Like when you're alone, you know, it's, it's just like me. I'm like, so what can I do? There's not really a lot of really interesting stuff sober you can do alone. Um, you know, there's only so many hikes you can go on, but I don't drive. So like me get into a hiking place, I'm, I'm, I'm already hiking. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> You're always hiking. <laughs> um, so that's, that's been one of my struggles too, is like, you know, like what, I, so much of my adult life, social time was drinking time. Mm-hmm. Going to the bar, hanging out with people. Now, granted, it wasn't about the drinking, but it was always tied into that. So I don't really understand how to find the resources to do those other things that aren't tied to that in some way. Yeah, and that's something last, I need to learn. When's the last time you bowled, Chad? Recent Banksy thing kind of inspired me, so I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm going to do some some subversive stuff in the near future. I'm glad you used the word subversive there because, <laughs> in the context of guru, of, of Banksy and the word gorilla. You could have meant gorilla with the G U E or G O R R I L L A. That's true. true. So I was like, yeah. is he planning on drawing lots of giant apes? Gorillas, just huge apes everywhere. <laughs> that would be amazing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you see? Did you see that uh, the Sotheby's thing with uh, Banksy? No. How did you miss that? Oh, you're gonna love. I don't look at the news. That's how. Oh, so basically, he he had an original that he rigged with a shredder in it, um, and then a paper shredder. Yeah, like an actual shredder. So basically, what happened was it went to auction at Sotheby's, and Sotheby's ended up um, the winning bid was like 1.4 million or something like that, and he had it on a remote control so that the moment the gavel hit. And everyone was congratulating fucking hand. It shredded itself. Oh my god, that's brilliant! It was genius. It was awesome. I mean, it, he said it broke um, because it didn't shred the entire painting; it only shredded like three quarters of it. But can you imagine? <laughs> like that's the most expensive confetti ever made. You have to see the video. It's astounding. Like all of these people sitting in Sotheby's, just absolutely stunned. <laughs> it was amazing. Do you think he's one person? Yes, I think originally he was one person. I think he's he's got a whole team now. I mean, he's he's got to be up to 15, 20 people. Yeah, because he seems to be everywhere. Yeah, plus on top of that, some of his installations are so vast and grand that I don't think one person could have pulled it off. He's like an he's like anonymous. Yeah, Speaking of which, what what happened to those guys? Who knows? They'll they'll be back. They're probably I mean, if they're smart about it, they they would never reveal themselves ever again. I feel like this is this is uh, this political climate that they would be having a field day. Instead, they've been pretty silent. Maybe maybe they are having a field day and they're staying silent about it. Hmm. Interesting. It's that, it, that it's that old. I forget what which Chinese philosopher, or general, or whoever it may not even be Chinese. I'm just pulling that out of my ass at this point. But <laughs> it's the it's that old adage of power revealed is power relinquished. That does sound like a Chinese proverb. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? That's probably why I went there. 